chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4 in the Word of God. I want us to begin looking here in verse number 6. Where the Bible reads, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departing unto Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Our Father and our God, as we come to Your Word, I pray that You would tenderize our hearts and may we be attuned unto the still small voice of God. Lord, I pray that we would not be simply hearers of Your Word, but cause us to be doers of Thy Word. Lord, if there is someone listening or viewing this broadcast today, and they do not know Thee as their Savior, I pray that before this broadcast is over, that they will experience the joy that comes from knowing their sins are forgiven. And we will give you all the glory and honor for these things. For we ask them in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. This morning I want to bring you a message entitled, Loving God in an Alluring World. Loving God in an Alluring World. That seems to be the postmodern church's challenge is to love God as He calls us to love Him. Not just with a casual type of love, not just with a, a Sunday type of an expressed love where that perhaps we sing a song and, and we say that we love Jesus or maybe uh, we post something on our social media account that, uh, that lifts up the name of Jesus, but really from the depths of our heart, loving Him more than anyone or anything in this world and living a life that causes that expression to be demonstrated. And I believe that what we're finding today is that the church of God is, is drifting away from a steadfast, passionate love to the Lord Jesus Christ that the early church once knew and experienced. And I believe that it's many of the enticements of the world and the allure of the world and its acceptance that has overtaken the hearts of many who once had a passionate love for the Savior. As we come to this passage, we know that Paul is in the twilight moments of his life. He is imprisoned in Rome and awaiting his execution. He has been there suffering and now he is writing to young Timothy and giving him some last words of encouragement and instruction. And in this book we find many things that inspire us today. And yet there are many things found within this book that really are distressing on a deep level if we stop to really contemplate them. Because what we discover is that here's a man who for 
almost 31 years of his life from the time where he trusted Christ on the road to Damascus all the way until now he's sitting in a prison cell in Rome awaiting his execution at the hands of Caesar. We understand that he was used of the Lord to deliver the gospel to the entire Gentile world during his lifetime. He was mightily used of the Lord in establishing churches all over Asia Minor, all over Europe, all over and across uh, the world. And, and the reality was this, that there were literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people whose lives were mightily impacted by the life of Paul. And yet what we find him saying in his first uh, chapter here in this final book that he would write is that, this thou knowest that all they that are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And we find that really uh, a man who had done so much for so many is now sitting in a prison cell alone. Of course, we know that there was a man named Onesiphorus who made his way to Rome and there refreshed and encouraged Paul. We know as well that Luke, his faithful companion in ministry, was there to attend unto him. But of the many that could have been there, all had turned away. There were some who had been sent away to other places of ministry, but what we find is the tragic statement that Paul makes as he is coming to the end of his life when he says this, do thy diligence to come unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Demas was a man who for many years labored with the Apostle Paul, of whom in the book of Philemon, chapter, uh, there in uh, Philemon 1, number 24, uh, Paul says he's a fellow laborer together with him. And in Colossians 4, we find where that Demas and Dr. Luke are bringing a greeting to the saints in Colossae. And so we can safely discern from a study of the Word of God, despite the fact that there is not a huge body of information surrounding Demas, but that he was faithfully involved in the missionary work, in the church planting work, that the Apostle Paul had engaged. And in fact, we, without any stretching of the Scriptures, would be able to say that he was a pioneering missionary who served side by side with arguably the greatest Christian of the New Testament era, who was the Apostle of the Gentile world. And yet, despite that pedigree, came to a moment in his life where he turned away from all that he held fast to and forsook Paul. And in the process, he demonstrated his love for this present world and was departed unto Thessalonica. The early church writers uh, seemed to believe that Thessalonica was home to Demas. Decided, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go home. There are people there that, that love me, and there are people there that even like being around me. There is mama's cooking there. There's a nice place to live. The, the seacoast is beautiful there in that part of the world, and the climate is optimal. I think I'm going to just go home. I'm just going to go home. And so, that is indeed what he did. And I believe that in Demas we can see a message for the church today. For Demas was there in Rome. No doubt was there when Paul was incarcerated. No doubt saw the, the punishment inflicted upon him. The shame that was heaped upon him by being cast into the depths of the Mamertine prison. No doubt... Uh, he went to visit him. But then, as he left the prison house, 
He saw all of the beauty of Rome in all of its splendor and majesty, all of the, the large and beautiful buildings, the, the wonderful foods and, and the opulence that went into it, saw the order of that, of that beautiful place that some can even visit and see for themselves today, and maybe the culture that was there, and, and maybe the philosophers, and maybe the, the education and the commerce, and all the pleasures and the, and the nice things, the finer things in life were there. And that stood in stark contrast to what his companion in labor was experiencing. Perhaps it stood in contrast to some of what he experienced during the years of ministry together with the Apostle Paul when serving they were persecuted for for Jesus' sake and for doing nothing more than for preaching the Gospel, for preaching the faith. And I believe today that we must see the things that God is calling us to that will hold us in love with Jesus Loving God in the midst of this world that tries to lure us away. Loving God in an alluring world. I believe that it is important for us to notice here that the Bible indicates to us that the reason why Demas left was not because he had no other place to go. It was not because he lacked the provisions. No doubt Luke and Onesiphorus would have gladly taken him in. No doubt he could have waited for Timothy, gone to Ephesus. He could have uh, taken up uh, some residence with Aquila and Priscilla. There were many options that were available to Demas. It wasn't simply he had no other place to go and his companion was about to be killed. No, the specific reason why he left was because he loved this present world. And I suggest to you that that is precisely the reason why anyone may leave a passionate love and a devotion to God and to His service. What we understand here is that this man loved the things of the world at a moment in his life more than he loved the God that saved him. I can't tell you how many times through the years I've talked to people that are involved in egregious things, evil things, and they sit and they want some spiritual counsel and they'll profess their undying love and devotion for Jesus, but I love Him so much, but I just can't stop doing the things that I'm doing. And the reality is that until you start loving God more than you love the things that you're doing, nothing will change. Nothing changes. And so I submit to you this morning that the way that we love God in this alluring world is, first of all, to cultivate a love for God that is greater than a love for the world. Cultivate a love for God that is greater than a love for the world. I want to say that I've got six children and I have six grandchildren. I know many of you that are watching right now think, he doesn't look near old enough to have that many grandchildren. He doesn't look near old enough to have kids, period. And I appreciate you saying that. Uh, but but I, I am. And uh, But listen, I want for my children and for my grandchildren to get a hold of this principle that they need to cultivate a love for God that is greater than any love that this world would call them to. Demas chose the love of the world above the love of God. Quite simply, a man who served as a missionary for years, a man who was willing to suffer privation and, and perhaps beatings and potentially imprisonments, a man uh, who was willing to stay with Paul even though the going was rough, a man who no doubt came to faith under the ministry of Paul, perhaps during that three-week period of time while Paul was ministering in Thessalonica and established the church in Thessalonica. Perhaps it was then that Paul met Demas and Demas began to go with Paul and Luke and whoever was traveling with him at that moment. 
But somewhere and somehow along the way, he began to just feel the pull of the finer things of life, began to sense the desire for the comforts of this life. And I believe that it is important for us to understand that you and I are called to love God more than anyone and more than anything in this world. John, the beloved disciple, wrote in his first epistle in chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of God, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But him that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You see, the call is to love God. John, no doubt, loved the Lord with a passion that was transcendent. In fact, when we find the Lord Jesus gathering together in the upper room for that last supper, as He announced that someone was there among them that would betray Him, sell Him for 30 pieces of silver, all of the disciples said, Lord, is it I? Am I the one that's going to do it? Because they questioned perhaps their devotion and loyalty deep down in the deepest part of their heart, but there was one that didn't question it. There was one that didn't ask because he knew, I will die. Though he made no public profession, he knew he would die before he would do that. And that very man said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. My friends, those of you that have fallen in love with Jesus and have responded to the love that He has bestowed upon you because we know that we love Him because He first loved us, the answer is the, the message to you is this. Hold on to Jesus. Hold fast to Jesus. When the going gets tough and when things are hard, hold on to Jesus. Reminded in Luke chapter 18 of the rich young ruler that came to the Lord and said, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and we know that uh, the Lord looked upon him. And the Bible records for us that when Jesus looked upon him, that He loved him. And when the Lord finally came to the place where He said to him, Sell all that you have and give to the poor and take up thy cross and, and follow me. The Bible indicates to us that that man went away very sad. He turned away from Jesus. Why? Because he was very rich. And the reality was that it confounded the disciples they said, who then can be saved? They thought that those that had means must have the blessing of God upon their life, but the reality was simply this. That the allure of the world and the love of riches proved to be too much for that man. And it drew him away from a commitment to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, for what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Friends, cultivate a love for God that is greater than a love for the world. Secondly, cultivate a greater desire to be the person that God calls me to be than my desire to outwardly conform. Cultivate a greater desire to be the person that God calls me to be than my desire to outwardly conform. I think about what the Bible tells us about Moses in Hebrews chapter number 11, who uh, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He was willing to suffer, the Bible says, 
more than he wanted to enjoy the pleasures of living in the palace and enjoying a life lived in luxury and royalty. My friends, I believe that it is important for us to understand that God is calling you to be like Jesus. Not just do what Jesus did, but be like Him. Because until we are conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, we will never find ourselves consistently doing the things that He calls us to do. There are a lot of people that are trying to to do the work of God without being godly. And the fact is that we must be the person God has called us to be if we would continue doing the things that God has called us to do. And I submit today that long before Demas quit doing what God called him to do, he stopped determining to be the man that God had called him to be. God had called him to be a missionary. God had called him to to go into the Gentile world with the Apostle Paul and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. God had placed a call upon his life. Why else would he have left uh, home and family and traipsed around the world as a vagabond telling others about Jesus? Why would he have hazarded his life any other way? And the truth is that there was a time where he was determined to be the man that God had called him to be. Somehow the magnetism of God's love that was demonstrated to the Apostle Paul was so magnetic that it pulled him, but somewhere along the line when Paul was there in the recesses of the Mamertine prison, the pull wasn't so strong. In fact, it became the pull of Rome and the pull of Thessalonica, the the pull of Mama's cooking, the pull of all of the finer things in life that lured him away. And, and, And he turned away from that which drew him the very love of God. You see, when we stop determining to be what God wants us to be, it's just a short time until we stop doing the things that God calls us to do. I believe today that we need to understand what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own not the things which are Jesus Christ's. The truth is that there are very few who stay in a passionate love with Jesus Christ to the extent that the lure of the world does not pull them away. And I believe that we must understand that for a little while, it is possible to do the right thing without being right. It's possible to give a gospel tract feeling just a compulsion to do so because someone is watching. Well, maybe you've done a good thing, but you didn't necessarily determine to be the person God wanted you to be because had you been that person, you would have wanted to give that from the heart. Not just because someone was watching you. You can do the right thing without being right. But you won't stay doing it for long. You won't stay doing it for long. Secondly, how do we stay loving God in an alluring world? We notice, thirdly rather, we must cultivate a greater commitment to the eternal than to the temporal. A greater commitment to the eternal than to the temporal. What we find in the book of Colossians and chapter 3 is something that perfectly corresponds with what we're saying. For the Bible tells us this in verse number 1 of chapter 3 in Colossians. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Let me say to you, my friends, that we must cultivate a greater commitment to the eternal than to the temporal. Demas loved this present world, not the one that was to come. 
I think about what the writer of Hebrews, perhaps Paul, perhaps Barnabas, perhaps both of them, collaborating together on that work. We do not know for certain, but the writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews 13 and verse number 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one which is to come. Again, he said, here we have no continuing city. It's not Thessalonica. It's not your hometown in the heartland. It's not where you were born. That's not the city we seek for. It's not where our family lives. It's, it's not here on this earth. Here we have no continuing city, but we seek one which is to come. And when we do that, we're willing to suffer the reproach of God's people outside of the gates. Demas was unwilling entirely to seek the one that was to come, for he loved this present world. I think about what Paul said here in this very passage we have chosen as our text today. He said in verse number 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. We're called to love that. To love what God is doing for us. What, what He's preparing for us. Not what we have materially. Not what we can amass. Not what we can experience here on this side of heaven. Sometimes I look at believers that claim to love God and I think we are nothing more than, than hedonists and epicureans that are living these existential lives that are all about the things of this world and it seems that we are not even mindful of the fact that one day Jesus is coming for us or we're going to Him. And I wonder, are we so loving that the call to glory and what awaits us there, that when we get there, we'll experience all of the joy and the wonder that we have anticipated. Or will we go without the anticipation? And will we have so loved the things of this world that when we get there, we will suffer from culture shock? Because what is there is the unending Love of God. I think about what the Bible says, Now abideth faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Why is that the greatest? Well, because our faith one day will be made sight. Because Hope will no longer be needful because we will realize our hope has been fulfilled. But one thing that will never pass away, that will endure forever, is the love of God. And sometimes I think that when we arrive into heaven, those of us who have set our affections on the things of this world that have lured us away. We'll wish we had loved Him more. We are called to love Him and His appearing and to love and to cherish those things that will never pass away. They'll never pass away. Linda and I, during the course of this time, have been trying to take the opportunity to do some purging, and we've been going through uh, drawers and closets and cabinets and cupboards and trying to, to streamline a little bit, and, 
and uh, we were going through uh, some old cabinets and cupboards, and there was a lot of, of vitamins and health supplements, and there was uh, medications and things, and we started looking at the expiration dates, realizing, <laughs> got to throw this one away, I got to throw this one away, got to throw this one away. Can I tell you something? The things that you're so in love with here, they have an expiration date. They're going to burn. But do you know what never expires? Heaven. You know what never expires? God's love for you. And we ought to say, there's no expiration date on the passionate love that I have for Jesus. I want it to continue on unendingly. So we must cultivate a love for God that is greater than a love for this world. And we must cultivate a, a greater desire to be the person that God calls us to be more than the desire to outwardly conform to this world. And we must cultivate a greater commitment to the eternal than the, to the temporal. But then we must cultivate a contempt for that which is ungodly that is greater than our desire for acceptance. For our desire for acceptance. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we read further in that chapter, we find in verse 9 where it says, Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. We're to hate the evil and cleave to the good. And sometimes things that look so beautiful and on their face alone are not inherently wrong. But as we allow that to supplant God in our passions, it becomes an evil thing. And the Bible says, abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. So we must cultivate a contempt for that which is ungodly that is greater than our desire for the acceptance of this world, for the conformity to this world. I believe that this means that we will practically, functionally understand what it means to live out the fear of God in our lives because the fear of the Lord is to hate pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward tongue do I hate. Rather than being conformed to this world, I, I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And rather than desiring the acceptance and the approval of this world, I want my life to be a living sacrifice that is acceptable, wholly acceptable unto God. Now, I want to bring out something at this point that I was tempted to share later, but I think it, it's the time and the message to share this. Demas' name means popular. The name Demas means popular. Perhaps that's really what he wanted. He was infamous as the companion of Paul. But he decided, rather, I want to be popular in the eyes of this world. And having loved this present world, he walked away from the best friend that he ever had at the moment that that friend needed him the most. Sometimes we want to be accepted by this world. We want to be popular in man's eyes. We want to be accepted by our friends more 
then we want to serve the Lord. And so before we give Demas a hard time, let's take a hard look in the mirror and ask ourselves if perhaps we have that longing to be popular, accepted by the world, our friends. Perhaps we're unwilling to be infamous for Jesus' sake because we want to be famous for our own sake. You know, my job is not to make myself famous. My job is to make Jesus famous. Neither is he that planteth or he that watereth anything, but God that giveth the increase, Paul said. We're nothing. And yet, Demas, I think, decided, rather than be the new man God created me to be, I'll just take back the old name and decide I want to live up to that. I want to be popular. I love this present world. I want it to love me back. And he left. He left God. He left the people of God. The call to be conformed to the image of Christ is the call to nonconformity with this world. I know as I look back over my life, there were many times where I chose this world because I wanted to be popular. Because I wanted others to like me. I decided for a time to be something that God didn't ordain for me to be. So that I could be Demas. Popular. I want to say this, finally. If we would love God in an alluring world, we must cultivate a greater focus on God than on ourselves. Sometimes we place the, the focus on ourselves and I think about the life of Paul and his ministry and how easy it would have been for him to have just become self-absorbed because of the pain that he felt. Sometimes we get around people, and sometimes I'm the same way, who've got some physical infirmities, and boy, five minutes after seeing them, we're, we're getting the, the whole litany of all of their aches and pains, all that they're going through. We're ready to talk about it. We could be around some Christian people for 24 hours. And if we forgot to pray at meals, we might never have a conversation about the Lord. I believe that we've got to come to a place where we cultivate a greater focus on God than on ourselves. I have had several conversations with people in our church over the years who have with tears at times told me that it's distressing to be able to go out after a church service with people that they attend church with and to sit down over a cup of coffee and want to have prayer and want to talk about the things of the Lord and want to discuss how God was using the message from that service in their heart. But the, the conversation centered on work and it centered on health and it centered on the latest movie that they were uh, interested in seeing or their latest sports team and what the scores were or discussion about politics, but that they could never turn quite the conversation to a conversation about the things of the Lord. Perhaps Pastor Eckleberry's watching this morning and I would say that 
he would tell you his favorite thing in all the world is to talk about the things of God. To talk about the Scriptures and the deep things of God. He yearns, he craves to be able to get together with people. He told me on the phone this week that one of the most difficult things for him is not being able to be in church because he just loves to be around the people of God and to fellowship with the people of God. He said he never really knew how much he needed it in his life until he wanted it so desperately. Today, we must look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The truth is that we look inward Our focus is on our lives. What we have or what we don't have and we'd like to have or on what others have. And the world lures us away from loving God. At some point, Demas turned his focus away from God. And on to himself. And when we make our lives about flesh, ours or others, we cease to have a steadfast love for God. The Bible says, Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I want to share some good news with you at the conclusion of my message. And that is that Sometimes there are castaways, but there are no throwaways in the economy of God. Sometimes there are people that go home to mama, all they can think about is Thessalonica and never heaven. But although there may be castaways, there are never any throwaways. God will never give up on you. And the Bible proves it. Because where we read that Demas had forsaken him, having loved this present world and is departing unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. What we find next shows us that there are no throwaways in the economy of God. Because it says this, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. There was a moment in time where John Mark was such a problem to Paul that he argued with Barnabas about John Mark being allowed to travel with them during their missionary journeys because he was immature and he was a mama's boy. And so Barnabas took his nephew, John Mark, and parted ways from Paul. Because John Mark, when the going got tough on their first missionary journey, He went home to Mama. But now Paul is saying, in the economy of God, there are some that at times can be cast away. But in the economy of God, there are no throwaways. God never gave up on him. God never gave up on Mark. We don't know the end of Demas' story. 
perhaps God spoke to him and he was later used of the Lord. We never hear of him again. But I want to say that I believe had he turned, Paul could have written, he is profitable to me for the ministry. You might be watching this and saying, my testimony is that of Demas. You can change that today to that of Mark. Who walked away for a while, but then again proved himself to be profitable for the ministry. I wonder why that was. I think he went home and it wasn't everything that he thought in his heart it was going to be when he got there. And God placed within him a passion for God and the things of God such that he couldn't stay home. He had to go. We live in a world that offers a lot to draw our affections away from God. My friends, don't be drawn away from a passionate love for Jesus Christ. If you have, you may be a castaway, but with God there are no throwaways. He'll seek you out. He's got something in mind for you. God loves you more than you even love yourself. Would you love Him in return? And love Him more than you have loved this world? Oh God, I pray that the truth of this would settle into our hearts. And that, oh God, we would love You with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Lord, I pray that You would today do a special work in every life. Lord, I pray that You would help us to understand that You never throw the clay away. That You'll make us again a new vessel as it seems good unto You. So Lord, I pray that if our heart has been iced over and grown cold and indifferent to You and to the things of God, that You and Your love would draw us back. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Perhaps this morning you have watched this service and in your heart of hearts you're not really even sure that if you died today, that you would spend forever in heaven with God. In which case, what I want to ask you to do is consider the truth of the gospel. And the gospel is simply this, that all of us are sinners. We're sinners by birth. We've inherited sin from Adam. And we're sinners by choice. We cannot change what we have done or who we are. And our sin has separated us from God. And the only just thing that can take place is for us to die and go to a devil's hell and suffer for our sin. But God loved you and loves me so much that He didn't want us to have to suffer that fate. And so He sent His only Son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to come to this earth and live a perfect life and to die on an old rugged cross, to be buried in a tomb and, and rise again after the third day to prove that He is indeed God and able to save you. He took your punishment on the cross of Calvary for sin and He offers you the gift of eternal life through the forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven.
if you believe there's no other way, if you believe that a loving God has done everything necessary at Calvary to see to it that you might know that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home. Today, if you understand that you're not worthy, but Jesus can make you worthy, if you understand there's no other way except through Jesus Christ, and you've never received that gift of forgiveness and eternal life before, why don't you just right now, right there where you are, pray a prayer like this. Dear Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I know that I cannot change my condition. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin so that I may spend forever in heaven one day with Him. Thank you, dear Lord, for dying on the cross for me. Enable me to live for Thee. For this I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today, if you prayed that prayer, I tell you on the authority of God's Word that Jesus has forgiven your sin and He's saved you so that you can have the confidence of knowing that heaven is yours and never doubt it. If you made that decision today, go to our website, freewaybaptist.org, and send us a message. Tell us that you've been saved. We want to send you a Bible and send you some information to help you in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thank you.